Hello everybody and welcome to Kane and Rince Sound of Play 42. Sound of Play, every Wednesday now, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Now we have a special show in 42, because joining me, Leon Cox, in this Sound of Play is Jasper Byrne. Welcome, Jasper. Hello, thanks for having me. 
Oh, your your brother Nick uh, brokered this. Um, we had a request of his on recently, which was very sweetly, I thought, a request of his own brother's music. So yeah. So we played a track of Lone Survivor recently, and um, and then he said, "Well, maybe I can do better than this and actually get Jasper on the show." So and here you are. Yeah, Nick's a big fan of the of the show, and he's told me about it quite a few times. And uh, you know that you're pretty much the 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 show about uh, about video game music. So well, thank you. Excited to be on board <laughs> that's, uh, yeah there's 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 only a, there's only a few of us about and obviously um we are completely flouting the copyright rules and laws uh with this um there's you know but it seems like every composer that we've spoken to in the industry is completely on board so <laughs> oh yeah so we're using that as a uh, as as tacit approval um you know and if we ever get big enough so that we're noticed by by uh, by legal people then uh, that'll be a nice problem to have so <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. Um, but as you well know, you know all your soundtracks uh, are out there. Once they're out there, they're out there. Some people will pay for them, many people won't. Um, but they'll be on YouTube, they'll be on various places, and I think that's how the modern world is now. Exactly. Um, it, it's yeah. uh, it's um, it's an honor system. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I I just feel that if people consume kinds of media that they should put money back into it. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's entirely, I guess, at people's discretion these days. You can't really control control that. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's just the way it is, as you say. Our hope is that uh, what we do is we talk over, like in the, in the style of old Radio 1, we talk over the front and the back of each track very slightly. So if people want a, a clean copy, they have to go and source it themselves and then it's up to them if they want, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll, want, they'll be inspired to pay because this uh, podcast is a celebration of the work of composers and hopefully we've had a few on uh, and hopefully people realise that uh, they need to pay their bills, feed their children. <laughs> Absolutely, that. yeah, it's... Um you know, it's never. It's. It's. Uh, I don't think it's. It's. It's never been more difficult. Uh, sorry, more easy. Uh, more difficult to to sell music uh, than it is at the moment. Uh, sure. Despite all of that, but uh, you know, somehow the industry keeps going. And um, but uh, yeah, as you say, it's great to support your favourite artists um, whenever you can. Home taping is killing music. Um, <laughs> well, you know, they've, they've always said that, but I don't think it's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we opened there. Um, we're going to share some of your favourite tracks from the uh, from the decades and also some of your own work, which we like to do when we have a composer on. And uh, I know we've got a lot of fans of your work among our audience, so this is exciting. Uh, we got some Hotline Miami coming up and some Lone Survivor and some other, other bits and bobs. But we started there with an old, old favourite of mine from 1989. I got my Amiga in 1990, but that was one of the first games I picked up. Perhaps not the Bitmap Brothers' finest game, actually, in hindsight, but as a technical as a technical tour de force, it was uh, pretty astonishing in 1989. And David Whittaker there, um, who was already a renowned 8-bit musician, um, moved seamlessly into the 16-bit world um, by sampling extensively sampling Tim Simonon's Bomb the Bass uh, hit Mega Blast. So what are your memories of that track? Well, it sounds very similar to yours because I I, um, I think we got our first Amiga in about 1989 mm. and um, just coming from a spectrum where, the, you know, the only experience I'd had of of sort of music was was typing in 
um, series of data statements to to make it beep at different pitches. Yeah, right. Um, it was coming to to something you know with full on sampling and beats, and uh, it just blew my mind. It it really it was a whole new world, and I think the Amiga was so ahead of its time at that point because. I mean, the Commodore 64 is equally important. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's, you know, it is, a, in retrospect, it's a, a better-sounding machine than than the Amiga because it's mm-hmm. it's an analog synthesizer, which is, you know, my t- to my taste, like, the, one of the nicest sounds of all, you know. You and Vince Clark, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I've only come to appreciate that at the t- uh, in retrospect because I, I never had a Commodore 64. So for right. Seeing the Amiga, you know, with with um with a, a decent set of speakers that came on the um, on the monitors. That, that, yes, yeah. And it was so it was it was absolutely banging. You know, it was louder than my <laughs> than my you know ghetto blaster that I had at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it, it was it was like having a little club going on. You know, and oh, I, yeah. I couldn't believe it. Um, I actually we actually had the yeah. record anyway. The um the yeah bomb the bass record. Um, it was one of the first vinyls that I remember getting, actually, or my brother bought it, I think. But um, it's uh, we we had that anyway, so we were a fan of the track. And funnily enough, I'm a huge fan of Assault on Precinct 13 as well. So it was just like the perfect storm for me, um, because that that track obviously is based on the music to Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. And um, which is you know one of my favourite film scores of all, uh, and so it's just yeah just it, it's like everything coming together and as you say the game's not that great but just the experience of the intro uh, yeah. you know just showed me what was possible in the future and um still in in hindsight in retrospect like the the amiga has a very nice sound it's it's unusual like it's got a, a low pass analog filter in it and it's kind of got a weird a weird sound to it like um with the eight, you know the 8 bit 22 kilohertz lo-fi sampling um which which is quite sought after you know mm. in, in certain producers uh, with certain producers now and um you know so it's 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 uh yeah it's it's very nice very nice still and it famously uh had we've, we've sort of struggled with this a bit on sound of play because it had the um completely split stereo uh by default so everything's over one side or the other but fortunately some people out there have taken some of these tracks and um kind of remastered them remixed them so that they're not quite so extreme on hard on the See, ears. That authentic when the beat is literally over to the left yeah uh, <laughs> but yeah and it, i mean it's um it's an unfortunate limitation um of the, the the system but despite that you know it was still oh it was so cool i just yeah i went out and bought um so i, I some enterprising company i remember this would have been yeah, late 1990 or early 91. So Enterprising Company was marketing uh, what were effectively, uh, you remember those car speakers you used to put on the back shelf of your, of your, uh, of your, your on your parcel shelf of your car? And someone had obviously taken a, a load of these and was selling them in a box as Amiga gaming speakers. So this was a sort of proto, you know, the, the old desktop um, PC speakers. And now yeah. you can get these fantastic speakers that sit on your desktop that give out loads of oomph. These were a bit tinnier than that, but for the time it it was just so cool being able to split out the uh, the stereo and it just had a little bit more extra resonance than the mono telly that I used to play my Amiga on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I hooked up my cassette 
player or actually it was a friend's boombox and made a cassette tape of all my favorite Mega Drive and Amiga tracks down phono cables and I've still got those cassettes to this day even though I can listen to the uh, all those tracks are, are out there on YouTube and wherever else but um, those cassettes traveled around with me in my pocket and uh, of course I was a massive nerd but I felt incredibly cool listening to things like Streets of Rage and and uh, and Mega Blast and Chris Hillsbeck yeah. stuff on the on the on the paper round that sort of thing. For sure, I mean the, the Amiga was it was really tied in with um, with dance culture and you know and the the you know the sum, second summer of love and like yeah and all of that sort of thing and and you know there was a lot of like bleed in from rave culture definitely um, and uh, especially on the demo scene and things like oh, that yeah. like. There were some amazing tracks who were made by producers who I guess never even cared whether or not it was heard outside of the the, the hacker circles, you know, yeah, because yeah. they they were just trying to like one up each other, but they could easily have, you know, made it as a as a, a genuine artist, um, you know, as a sort of I don't mean genuine. What I mean is a, as a non game specific, yeah, non yeah. Uh, computer specific artist. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but they they didn't care to because it was you know it was it was literally all a matter of pride, like like almost like hip hop, you know, where yeah. Where sort of, so yeah, I mean the Amiga, and you know, and the, and the fact that it was um, sampling in an era when, well, I mean that bomb the bass again is a really good example because it's it's a it's a it's a classic hip, hip house track, you know, which is sort of the uh, right. UK's interpretation of hip hop and house music, and uh, you know, sort of seeing it all as the same thing as like, you know, American music with beats, you know, and then kind of confusedly throwing all these things together. So you've got like house beats with, with hip hop kind of samples and scratching, you know, and there were a lot of these records in the charts at that time. Like, um, so it was, yeah, it's really unique time in history because that kind of like genres sank very quickly without trace after a lot of commercial releases yeah. in the charts you know yes um jive but, bunny oh. yeah well exactly that sort of thing yeah yeah but yeah. i think i think um bomb um bomb the bases mega blast is actually one of the best records in that genre like it's, it still sounds cool to me i i don't know whether it's my age or or uh or what but yeah i i, I can it's just it, it's yeah it's glorious and it's you know sort of ridiculousness of of how many samples it yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah definitely so talking about um your love of uh, John Carpenter's soundtracks there. Now, uh, we've been talking about this because you've very kindly uh, taken time out of your busy schedule writing your first ever film score. And I don't know how much you can or want to say in the public domain, but just the fact that you're doing that is exciting. And um, and yes, yeah, so you're saying you're actually, you're kind of being inspired by both the sounds and, and the MO of John Carpenter in the work that you're currently doing. Yeah, it's strange. It's a, it's a thread throughout my life, I guess. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, he's, he is, um, I think, a very underrated director and musician. And he's, um, you know, he's still underrated, even though he's kind of got kudos. Like, mm, he's, he's mm. still underrated because I think he's one of the greats, actually. Like, in, certainly in terms of horror, like, he's Definitely. The, the, possibly the, the greatest genre director, I guess. Like, 
big games fan too. Big well, uh, uh, exponent of video games. Yes, fan of games as well. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, but uh, and you know, I, I suppose he's somebody I identify with because he's he's a multi um, genre yeah guy a polymath. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he's. Um, you know, he's interested in analog synths. I, I think that's that's. Uh, I don't know if that for me comes from watching a lot of his movies um, as growing up. Um, my dad just showed me, um, you know, Escape from New York and Assault on Precinct Thirty when I was quite young, and it, yeah, and, yeah. Um, actually, there was my my mum once did a cooking program on TV and it was recorded and afterwards it was it, it was sort of recorded over Halloween so it kind of <laughs> cut over to this and we used to watch it and sn- sneak and watch it and it used to cut to this uh, scene where Michael Myers is strangling someone in the car I can't remember exactly how long far uh-huh. into the movie that is but then uh, so we only ever saw the last you know the last section which is great anyway so um but without the build-up um but uh yeah i used to watch it over and over again there's something about the grainy vhs that we had of it as well and the fact that it kind of cut into it in a, in a really sort of freakish way from yeah my yeah. mum's cooking program to to like um you know to, to uh, scenes of brutal a girl murder. being strangled in the car and it's yeah all... i absolutely remember that yeah, yeah where the tracking goes all squiffy and you see bit yeah ghostly images of one thing and then yeah. Yeah, segueing to the other yeah it's uh it's really an aesthetic stayed with that, me definitely yeah. <laughs> it's an aesthetic that a few um sort of uh games have sort of picked up on when they've tried to do the sort of uh retro future thing sort of 80s style and we've seen recently... two done, did that very well actually like the vhs type effects yeah absolutely yeah and we've seen the um uh yeah far cry blood dragon uh, mm. and stuff like that yeah um but speaking of moody scores uh using synthesizers um yeah. one of one of this game uh one of yeah, one of the games that our community has perhaps been the most vocal about over the past, God, is it really four years old now? Hotline Miami. Yeah. Um, which is it four fiction, years old? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Um, I guess it came the, work out the same of, year as Lone Survivor, yeah. Featured the work of a number of um, talented people, um, including yourself. So you got to write the track, uh, well, more than one, I believe, but uh, certainly a track called Miami. Yeah. And this is the one you want to share with us. Now, what are your memories of working on, on Hotline Miami and, and why did you pick this track in particular? Well, uh, one of the reasons I started to to make uh, independent video games and feel that I could do it was that I played a couple of games by Cactus um, early on and they were so in line with my taste Mm. and so different to what else was out there that it made me think that 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 um possibly like you know that there was a a whole new world that that was worth exploring within video games um it wasn't you know his his game specifically but it was um he he was like the strongest out of you know a bunch of indie stuff that i was seeing in around i guess 2007 6 7 mm. Maybe and um, some of the games that he did, you know, um, uh, very small games that we did in Game Maker at that that time um, really affected me. And so I followed his work, you know, and we became friends. And uh, when I I think when I when I put out a, maybe my my Silent Hill two demake uh, at Soundless Mountain, maybe that that kind of got him interested in my stuff as well. Yeah. Um, so we became friends, and we we are uh, both members of the Poppencast, which is a, a forum for, for 
for devs, um, which is is a uh, you know contains a, a bunch of guys that that are I guess quite well known in the scene, like um, like JW and and Rami and uh, you know and Terry Kavanagh and um, Piet Piet who works with JW and uh, you know Yukio Kalo Kalio who does uh, the uh, a lot of music and. Uh, Elric, who does the music for Spelunky and all that sort of thing. Mm. A whole bunch of guys who, who are doing similar kind of things, I guess, um, on the pop and cast. I, I think most of it came originally from the Game Maker forums and wanting to have a, a sort of private place to share around builds of games, you know, that were pre-release. And so, um, yeah, so uh, I know I know Jonathan Moanley through, through pop and cast and... Uh, and uh, it's not as active as it used to be, but we, you know, we still keep adding members and like people like Moppin who made Down Downwell uh, yes. recently, you know, and they're sort of, sort of, we were always nominating people and adding people in who are making interesting stuff, you know, and just trying to just trying to keep keep a nice little place to 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 just basically swap around builds of games safely you know yeah and, uh, and show what we're working on like be it you know games or anything else like art or music um so uh so jo- you know jonathan and i both both seen drive that year and i knew he was making a game that was inspired by it so i immediately went i think without him even asking and just made a track inspired by that movie because i was so, right. so into it yeah know? um and just, just that kind of candy, candy-coloured pop, sort of synth pop, like mm, mm. Um, set against a really dark tone. I mean, it's another. We were discussing this before the podcast, but the the idea of like a really strong juxtaposition um, of of styles, you know, um, which is something I really love about Drive. You know, the the, yeah. the saccharine like mu- music and the. Uh, the kind of dark imagery um. yeah never never better expressed than in the uh there's a there's a i don't know if it was actually an official video but certainly there's what there's at least one cut on youtube of of sequence sequences from the movie um with uh real hero by uh yeah, uh, Electric College featuring Electric Youth, um, and so there's literally, you know, there is the shot of him stoving someone's head in with his boot <laughs> while this, <laughs> while this music is saying, you know, what, you know, what a, a cool, hero, what a cool yeah. stoic guy this is. Yeah, um, yeah, and it, it works every time. I absolutely so that track you. cracked me up every time. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, well, exactly, um, and it's, uh, it's, you know, I think it's something that David Lynch always says as well. Um, mm. uh, you can't you know i'm paraphrasing and maybe this is turned into the way i I try and phrase to talk about lone survivor as well but it's it's uh it's the idea of you can't just have a one note because it doesn't it it loses its effect you know so even if you're making a a very dark piece um if it's all on one note it will it will cease to have any effect um so you know he very consciously intersperses moments of real lightness and, and humor and sentimentality and stuff like you know into within the, within the darkest p- points of his movies so yeah the, the mark kermode recently was talking about angelo badalamenti actually talking about 
um, how their composing process worked. Mm -hmm. And it's basically David Lynch standing over his shoulder describing what's happening and getting Badalamenti to play it kind of as, you know, as it comes to his head. Yeah, yeah. So, again, that you were talking about trying to, you know, work in a, in a, in an, expedient manner yeah, basically yeah. to to not overthink to not over flourish over fiddle with Absolutely. the things you're coming out with yeah and, i'm really um, trying to yeah. keep that with this movie because it's a, a horror movie and um, we haven't yet discussed it on the podcast but uh, yeah it's a it's a horror comedy so it actually fits that that very well because it's uh, you know it, it literally is moments of of lightness and humor against uh, uh, horror so um but uh yeah it's 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 trying to like i guess what i'm trying to do with it and i'm hoping it's working is is do do the opposite of what you'd expect in certain points you know and uh just to, to create that dissonance uh so so yeah it's a uh, but again like, like you're saying right doing it very very quickly um you know maybe ch like watching something two or three times and then just just recording it um you know trying maybe one or two approaches or even the first approach if it feels right like um and and not uh layering it up too much i mean having a time constraint is really good yeah. as, as we were saying um you know uh i think halloween was recorded in three days and right. and assault and precinct 13 probably the same amount of time um not only that but i think it was you know it was done on a uh, really complex moog modular Mm -hmm. and and that that sort of thing takes ages to well i mean you can't get back the sound that you've made anyway um and that's the process i'm using with this this um so i'm not there's no midi there's no um there's no tempo actually i'm i'm literally although i have done a couple of samples right. that are looping um but basically i'm yeah i'm just trying to let the synths you know run and and literally just record them um and so, yeah, it will be really interesting to see how it turns out. But, I, you know, given the, the time that I have, which is less than a month, I uh, basically, um, I, I'm, it's really the only option I have. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens. <laughs> uh, so I'm normally a bit of a perfectionist. Like. Yeah, 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 I know the feeling. <laughs> let us pause temporarily then to hear Miami by Jasper Byrne.
So, listeners, we covered Hotline Miami on the other podcast, Kane and Rince, back in issue 150, talking for two hours all about the game, and uh, and the soundtrack gets a, a good mention too. So, Jasper, how, uh, I, I don't know, without, I'm not a technical person, I, I'm not really musical, but how is it that that piece there, particularly uh, some, some of your stuff for Hotline Miami, sounds, has that such a rich and crisp sound what what's the what's what's the magic the secret behind that um well it does it does frustrate me i guess that video game music sometimes feels as if and and this is especially since we've had a, had the technology like post i don't know playstation era when yeah when uh, we've had full access to full quality yeah, audio exactly it does frustrate me i guess that um I guess gamers, or, or no, sorry, rather the producers of games feel that gamers don't have the intelligence to, or, 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 or appreciation uh-huh. to to uh, to expect, you know, as good quality mixing yeah. as you would on a record that you buy, mm. sort of thing. They 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 feel like, oh, you know, it's good enough for the mm. game. You know, it doesn't really. But I I I, I try to judge every piece of music in a game or, or film by same standards that I would you know a record that I was buying and so I, I guess I'm just I just have that I mean actually to be honest Miami is one, one of the roughest <laughs> mixes really yeah okay. it's, it's so quick I, I, I did that thing and it's all um, it's all software as well so it's complete opposite of what I'm doing now it's just funny uh, but somehow it sounds it pristine works. to me yeah but... I guess the reason that one particular sounds pristine is because it's all based on FM synthesis which right, is okay. a digital thing anyway and was available in the 80s yeah, yeah. so yeah. so it was um, it, you know it was authentic but it mm. was digital if you see what I mean but um, uh, that that leads to a very crystal clear kind of you know, for the bell sounds and things like that in the track, mm. but actually the beats are really rough and kind of like muddy. But I don't know; it sort of fits it. I, I've gone back in it and I've 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 made another mix of it, like for the the second EP. And t- to be honest, I still prefer the original. Like even right. though the new one is some sort of more hi-fi, it just it's it lost the um, the flavor that the original had. So I, every time I try and touch it, it gets worse. So I've just decided to leave it. Like lesson learned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's got a, it's got a definite yeah it's crunch to it and um now I'm not I'm not the world's biggest fan of the game Hotline Miami yeah. perhaps I need to go back to it but I do you know I do adore the music and yeah. uh, and the mood that it sets I think it's fantastic yeah um, it's almost beyond my ability that game in fact I, <laughs> I mean I played it for the story because I felt that the story was really interesting mm. but um, but I found it a real struggle like mechanically to get through it but. Uh, the second game I haven't been able to uh, just because I, I'm getting too old. I think like I'm literally at the age of you know forty this year. I, I can't play games like that anymore. Um, you know I don't have the reflexes like so. Dark Souls is more my pace. You know it's hard, but uh, it's it's slow enough that I can actually input what I need to input. Even yeah. Street Fighter, which is my favorite game, I would be playing five a lot more 10 years ago than I, than I am now just because I don't feel I have the execution anymore oh you're scaring me I'm three years older than you and I'm still I'm still struggling away but uh, I guess yeah, I was, all, maybe I was always quite mediocre I think from just like endless mouse clicking and uh, and use of use of keyboards and, and so right on, but I don't know uh, yeah um 
talking about you know it's it's something you know we featured music from all eras of, yeah. of gaming on this and we've we've gone back to 8-bit times we've even had some spectrum stuff some of tim follin's astonishing yeah. work um but you were talking there i even thought of saying you know just the, yeah. the idea of saying jets at willy or or manic minor because that was in, <laughs> very inspiring to me as well you know as yeah of course the first like catchy tune on on a computer you know uh, even though it drove you crazy after however many yeah. hours but I was thinking about what you were saying there about, um, you know, not there's no real necessity to, you know, cram things in in the same way. You know, it used to be that coders famously, music, musicians in the mm-hmm. 8-bit era would be given like, you know, oh, well, you've got 4K left to, to write the score in. You know, what, what do you want? So now there's no real reason to do that. But no, I guess exactly. a good example of the last sort of time that was happening was um, on the Nintendo 64 as yeah. um, Nintendo's uh, last so far. Uh, NX rumors notwithstanding, um, you know, physical media based console. And famously, as we've mentioned many times, the N64 doesn't really have a dedicated sound chip, as I understand it. Really? Um, I didn't know that, actually. I believe that's the case. Yeah. That's certainly my understanding anyway. But so we've been covering the uh, Legend of Zelda series recently. We covered Ocarina of Time in issue 217. Um, we're going from the start and we're working our way all the way through um, to, to the most recent game, as it will be by then, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and certainly one of the things that we lavished praise upon was uh, the soundtrack on Ocarina of Time, despite the fact that it is it sounds quite compressed. It can be sound a little bit murky and muddy. Yeah. The actual music that Koji Kondo made for this game um, kind of blows me away in places. And you've brought one of my favourites to this show, Song of Storms. Yeah, it's uh, it really is uh, such a, a classic. It's... Um it's so cheeky, you know. Whenever, whenever I think of Zelda, I think of this song for some reason. Um, mm. It's, I mean, I I, I love the. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the um, the piece is called, but the uh, this the theme where you're ascending the mountain and linked to the past as well. The the classic. Oh, that's dun, amazing. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. But I, I I don't know what that one's called, but I, in a way, I feel this this one exemplifies it even better because it's it's so cheeky and it's so you know and it. it Obviously, like it re- records like a little bit of the cheekiness of the Mario music, mm. and um, you know those those tunes that that are just infectious. Even if you absolutely hate blue gr- bluegrass, you know <laughs> you can't <laughs> help but like love the Mario music, and uh, it, it just shows what a, a, a the power of you know the complete opposite, I suppose of. The Amiga game, which is the, the the sheer power of composition and, and melody, and um, and even and rhythm as well, and um, you know even despite the as we as you said the uh, the very sort of poor sound that the the N sixty four put out, it's um, it just had so much character from from the melody and the the rhythm itself, and uh, it's uh, it's got that wistful nostalgic feel it's it's kind of sad and happy at mm. the same time mm-hmm. yeah definitely um yeah i absolutely love it and and it, it somehow the cut sh- cut scene when that played um mm. was really emotional for me and i couldn't yeah. explain why <laughs> it's no, the passing of time you. perhaps um but uh yeah there's there's a real element of of uh 
of emotion in that in that game because of that. I think. Yeah. Yes, and you as Link uh, kind of drive the windmill hut guy bat, uh, batty. You know, you, go, you can drive him mad by by playing this tune to him in the end. Um, <laughs> really. Yeah, that's right, and he and he that's when he plays it super fast, and the and the well gets drained, so you can go down into the under. I do remember that? Yeah, underworld dungeon. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's hear it. Uh, Song of Storms, aka Windmill Hut. Lovely stuff. As I say, you can follow our uh, Legend of Zelda series of podcasts. We're currently up to, uh, we've just done Ocarina of Time. So we're about to do Majora's Mask and that will be out in a few weeks time. Now, next up is uh, perhaps the game that you're most famous for as a game. Um, you've made uh, a number of uh, video games, demakes, sort of um, uh, independent projects as super yeah. flat games. But Lone Survivor is perhaps the one that is has been, you know, the most widely distributed. Um, yeah. It's available on multiple It's the only formats. one I've sold myself, actually. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And um, and the director's cut actually got distributed by Curve, is that right? Um, um, the PlayStation version. So just, I still, just I still do the uh, PC okay. and Mac version myself. So, yeah, I mean, the original version of the game is the, the PC and Mac. And it was ported by Curve to uh, sure. PS4, PS3, um, Wii U and Vita uh, so far. And of course, uh, it was part of PlayStation Plus uh, some months back. Um, and so many, many, many of our listeners will have access to a copy of Lone Survivor. Um, it might be sitting on your Vita or it might be sitting on your PS3 or PS4 dashboard. So how did Lone Survivor come about, first of all? It was... You know, Silent Hill was always one of my, especially the second entry, was always one of my favourite games. And uh, I, even when I didn't make any games for years and years as a drum and bass DJ, which was what I used to do before before making that, um, I I would love it when a new one came out. And, you know, for a couple of years there, when, when two, three and four came out, I was just, just in heaven really like when, when each one came out and, um, it's, uh, it was when I actually made a a D make, um, of, of the, the game for a competition on TIG source, uh, that 
that ended up winning the competition, that I, I thought this could actually be... At the time, I was trying to make a different game, which was um, okay. still the same... A lot of the same ideas, I guess, um, principally going into dreams and... Um, well, I guess being a slightly psychedelic idea. Um, and um, so that that game, called, which was called Amnesia, funnily enough. Uh, yeah, before the other one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I had to change the title when I heard that they were... It would have been called Amnesia probably had I not... It's, it's, it's odd that that happened. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, so I changed the setting and I change it from being a, a straight point-and-click adventure into being a survival horror. So pr where previously it was more of a, a pure puzzle-solving uh, within dreams, um, it became uh, a survival horror crossed with, with some of that. Mm. And, mm. Um, and uh, I was, at the, at the time, I'd retired from music for, for a period after my dad passed away from cancer. I was just mm. not in the right place to, to write music. Sure. And uh, so I'd, I basically had to take a job for the first time in my life in, you know, um, in my, I guess, early 30s. And um, this is like, I don't know, seven years ago now, uh, seven, maybe six years ago now. Um, but yeah, in my in my in my sort of early thirties, and and uh, you know, get into a completely new new world, and I, I took a job working for Frontier, um, who make Elite and yes, you know, all that sort Lost of, Winds. Yeah, and that's how I came to be in Cambridge. In fact, with Lost Winds, um, the, yeah, I, I worked very closely with the guy who made that uh, mm. because one of the reasons I I said that I I, I wanted to join when I when I applied was that they had put out Lost Winds and it had a kind of indie feel which yeah. which I liked and and so I hadn't even played the game but I'd just seen the the pictures in Edge because I hadn't I didn't have a Wii at the time I don't think but uh, I just you know liked the art and I was like I want to work where the the guy who did yeah. that art mm. is <laughs> so uh, yeah uh, uh, Steve and uh, Chris who did the art um, both ended up working with them for a couple of years on uh, Connectimals and Connect uh, ah, right. Disneyland Adventures and uh, yes, of course. Were you, were you are you familiar with our friend of the show uh, Adam Capone? He he also worked on uh, he worked at Frontier for a bit and also worked on Connectimals. Don't know him actually. No, oh, okay. must have been on a different team. Uh, Probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a big company. You know, there's like 220 yeah, people, and, sure. and there's a lot of hiring, firing. I got made redundant once. I I got asked back, and then. Right, and then I quit. <laughs> Nature of the industry. <laughs> when I, I sold a, a game to Adult Swim, which was basically my way out. So that, the, right. to, to complete the story about Lone Survivor, yes, I've yes. been working on it in my free time at Frontier, um, having done that competition while while there. Um, they were not really happy with me doing indie stuff in my free time, and it, it mm. became more of and more of an issue, even though I was doing it entirely on my own hours. Yeah, and not doing it at work. Yeah, because um, I, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this, but uh, maybe I shouldn't actually. But certain, a certain other designer, I'll put it this way: a certain yeah. other designer who used to work at Frontier, who who also is a successful independent game designer. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, I think basically got sacked because he mm. was working on his seemed to be very successful game. <laughs> right. While yeah. in Frontier. 
but that was a, a while before me. Um, I'm sure he wouldn't mind, but I won't say his name anyway. Sure, but yes, they they obviously so because that they they'd had that situation before. They didn't want it repeated with exactly. Yeah, yeah they were they were really worried about another XX. So um, yeah, 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 and um, it just it just pissed me off because. I don't know. The others, everyone else could, you know, go and play table tennis on their lunch yeah, exactly. break. So, so like, you why can't I? Yeah, why can't I just sit and do some sprites? You know, it's like, yeah. Um, but you know, just save myself a bit of you know, donkey work um, that I'm going to have to do on the weekend, otherwise. <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah, I got it. I I got um, I got maybe done, and then I got fired. But in the, in that time, I built up a fair amount of the the game and the technology and. Um, I sold another game, which which I made using the same the same tool um, uh, to to Adult Swim Soul Brother, um, which which was a one off payment, which which gave me enough to live on for about a year. So with that, I I quit and I I just put it all into Lone Survivor and down to the last penny basically. Wow. And, and I had a, you know I had a, a daughter by that point. Um, and literally risked it all. And Gamble. fortunately, yeah, it just the reviews started coming in. They were really good. And before I knew it, I, you know, I had to set up a company and like, you know, in, in a rush to sort of, um, you know, I, I didn't have any clue about how much money was going to come in and how to organize it, you know. And yeah. so I ended up paying really badly for the tax and losing a lot because I didn't set up a company and things like that. Right. It just you know i just was really clueless i had no idea it was going to be so successful and then when it was on the uh humble bundle um with oh, yeah, which was cool. like the sixth one or or something which was the biggest one of all time i think or the second biggest one um but it was it was you know it went out to seven hundred thousand people right in one go and so even if they're giving you the smallest cut on there because i i tend i'm i must just admit getting you know, that recognition sure that... i think was so useful for me yeah. you know because even though I could have probably made more money on it. I think the fact that people know it means yeah. that if I do do another game, hopefully I've got some fans, you know, and 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 enough of a fan base like to to kind of feel a bit more secure about making another game. Yeah. Definitely. I'm about halfway through Lone Survivor. Uh, I need to go back to it. Um, but what I will say is I, I like it and uh, and it's certainly effectively creepy. You can feel the um, absolutely the, uh, the the Silent Hill influence. Um, I haven't I haven't played your your demake, I must admit, but um, Lone Survivor is well worth checking out, I think. And one of the main reasons for that, again, is is the fact that you scored it yourself. Obvious influences um, from Akira Yamaoka. Okay, yeah. um, but also, you know, I think I think it's fair to say it's got your own feel so we maybe associate you most readily with uh electronica and stuff but here you've got a lot of um you know analog sounding stuff you got real instruments for want of a better phrase and all that sort of thing was that a real challenge to do was it something you'd always wanted to do uh, yeah i loved it i loved it because um i i used to be in a band before i even started making dance right. music and i was a you know as an indie kid and i had you know i I loved like the manchester bands of the early 90s and all that and um and ride and you know like yeah yeah. shoegaze kind of stuff yes yeah and i was really into that as a teenager and you know and i had the 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 long hair and you know and the guitar and like i wanted to be you know a, a, a guitarist and a singer but um it 
when, as soon as I moved to Manchester and for university, I I started going clubbing, and that just that just opened my eyes to a whole yeah. new world, you know. And, yeah. Um, and you know that was like right in well mid nineties, ninety five, and that was ninety four, ninety five, and and that was sort of the peak of of UK dance music, really. I think ever. Um, and it was such a great time for it. So to ignore that, whereas you know things like the the bands of the early '90s were actually not really doing that much anymore, and I didn't think it was a great time for bands. Um, mm. So I yeah I, I I really fell out of it, but it didn't mean that I still didn't love those same records that I I loved from back then. And so it's really influenced by the Verve. Uh, yeah, their first record and their their early singles. I didn't actually like when they became a bit more commercial. I think the no, second right. record is still good, but the first record, Storm in Heaven, and like the early B sides are really really amazing. Um, like Nick McCabe's sound effects, his um, he I actually have the same model now. Like that uh, right. that John Lecky. I think it was John Lecky. No, I, I'm trying to remember. I think maybe it's Alan Mold. I can't remember, but um, whoever produced it uh, mm. used um, an Eventide model H3000, which which I, I bought a couple of years ago when I when I actually first finally had the money to get one. Yeah. It was stupidly expensive for just an effects unit, but I wanted that Canyon effect that that is on like the Verve album, you know. And unfortunately, I didn't have it when I made the Lone Survivor soundtrack, but. Now you know I've got uh, yeah I can plug in my guitar and get and get that that sound. <laughs> you can use uh, it on a future project. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's sort so, of like how Miami you know didn't have um, any real synths on it, but now I've used the money to to invest back in yeah. synths. You know. <laughs> yeah. Got to be done. Uh, so this you've picked moving on. Uh, why this one in particular? Yeah, I, actually, I think that that kind of. This this one um yeah you know, this is interesting one because um I guess over the the past couple of years I've been I've been working on a, a new solo album which is very personal it's it's really you know it's it's me um trying to take as long as it needs to to get something that I'm happy with and um, along the way I've I've had a, a lot of help from and advice from from friends you know what's working and what's not working and one one person that. I, I've known since I was 16 actually is um, is Kieran Hebden Fortet and mm. uh, he I don't know if you've heard of him but he um, he's you know he's quite a well-known house and garage but but IDM but sort of not DJ his his style is very mixed I mean he's moved from being a sort of folk kind of hip-hop influenced stuff through to modern day being much more close to house and garage but uh but with the same kind of soul to it uh, all the way through. Anyway, we, we've been friends since uh, since uh, that I uh, was quite young, and he he's been helping me out uh, recently with um, with just taking a listen to my stuff and you know and, and giving me a lot of advice uh, what's working and what I what I need to improve really. And cool. so he's helped me out a lot with this album that I'm doing. But I, I think one thing that he that that track was definitely inspired by. <clears throat> remembering him when he was quite young and he was in this band called Fridge which was a sort of post-rock outfit a bit like mm-hmm. Tortoise or something like that and there were three guys and that's actually how I knew him when I first met him <clears throat> he, he also went to Manchester and we were friends in Manchester University but um, 
he at that time he, he he you know I went to see his shows and stuff and I just remember this kind of driving but constantly building um sort of jam sort of vibe that they had uh especially when they played live and I was I guess I was trying to recapture that you know that sort of like the mentalness of free jazz you know when you're just like going berserk like trying to <laughs> play your instrument as loud and as you know just build it up to an intensity like with, without really you know without really thinking too much mm. um i don't know something in in that music where it's where it's very hypnotic uh, i guess in that mm. post-rock kind of vibe um and I, so I guess i was just trying to capture that like the those early fridge records that that were like kind of mental you know like had slightly free jazz kind of vibe almost to them as well um and so yeah that's where that one comes from and uh, i just i thought it really it worked it worked well kind of for the for the last last piece and also it is a little bit influenced by you know those long jams on that verve record which uh have have a sort of spaced out guitar jams at mm. the end you know or or like the, you know, the Stone Roses, I'm the Resurrection or something, yeah, where it's, you know, it just, it just jams out. <laughs> yeah. I love those records. Like, so, yeah, they, they were a lot of my favourite of the Verve's early records as well. So it's, it's really influenced by that. And, you know, I still listen to that now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, actually, funny enough, Verve's Storm in Heaven ties in very, very much with the... Uh, with the kind of jazz that I'm interested in now, because uh-huh. it's you know it has um as a, as a lot of indie records did at that time, it has a group of horns on it called the Kick Horns who who played yes. it on loads of records. Yeah. So they they've just got that weird free jazz kind of vibe, which which I love. Yeah, you know, space cosmic Sun Ra kind of like Steve Reed or you know I don't know all that stuff. So I'm really interested in that. And it was I, this with the music for this game. It was a, a real chance to to tap into that stuff, and and in a way, I suppose like a lot more than just Yamaoka was. It was also tying into David Lynch. Uh, not this track in particular, but I think yeah. the al- you know the I was trying to look outside of Silent Hill, you know, for an influence mm. um, and. In a way, in that respect, it's probably more like Deadly Premonition because it's more looking at David yeah, Lynch yeah. than, than uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. What there are some movies that that are direct influences on Silent Hill, like Jacob's Ladder. I, I guess it is more. Yeah, it's it's more like that, isn't it? Silent Hill, mm. really. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's all they they all cross over all of these of things, course. don't they? But uh, but yeah, it's the, the pool of influences. Yeah. Let's hear if we can hear it. Moving on by Jasper Byrne.
So that is moving on from Lone Survivor, which you can play on most formats, although sadly not any Xbox-related formats for whatever reason. Um, I guess that's probably not going to happen now, but uh, maybe your next game will come to all formats instead that of... That actually is not beyond the realms of possibility. Um, oh, okay. It's something that I think I think Microsoft have done a lot to, you know... I was not impressed with them a few years ago, and I was sure. I was basically of the, the position that I don't really want to work with them. I think feel they're arrogant, and uh, mm. and um, and I never really felt that they should be got hot console game in the first place. You know, like, I don't know unless they really had something. The Xbox three hundred and sixty, in retrospect, was a, was a great machine. It was um, definitely. And, yeah. um, Despite the you know the technical problems and what have you, but it it was a, it was it the advanced, it advanced the, yeah it advanced the art and I think it was the only one that they've made that that did, um, and so I'm yeah I mean a lot of stuff has fed back into the PlayStation and the PS4 is good because it's learned a lot from the Xbox I guess, um, but uh, I just felt that with the with the with the new one that they were really. Th- just the whole difference when I went to E3 a few years ago uh, after you know when promoting Lone Survivor on uh, PS3 and Vita, yeah, um, and Sony was so welcoming and open to everything yeah. I spoke to them about, and and uh, and then I I bumped I was introduced I don't think I you know deliberately went up to but I was introduced to somebody who was high up in the Xbox um, team for you know finding games and stuff and um and they and and they were like oh yes if you're if you're interested you should submit an application form or something like that you know it's just really aloof and i was like well <laughs> fine you know yeah that's not exactly courting the talent exactly yeah yeah I, yeah no you want to be made to feel a bit more special than that yeah we're saying like, we person. love lone survivor it's awesome you know shaheed when he was working there shaheed kamal yeah. Was, yeah. was just so enthusiastic and you know yeah. he was yeah i mean he's not entirely responsible but he really helped like definitely his yeah. his wing of it you know he, he hearts and minds of of uh of a certain kind of demographic of, yeah. of gamer and and the development community and the yeah. halo effect from that is really good you know so yeah yeah it went a so, long way in in sort of uh relation to lone survivor um I was lucky enough to go and see Akira Yamaoka live in the, uh, when he toured last year. Did you manage to get to one of these shows? No, I've never seen him play. No, it was cool. It was um, it was perhaps rockier than I was expecting. There was less um, less of the sort of ambient stuff. It yeah. was, you know, a live show. Yeah, and but his band were pretty tremendous. Um, the vocalist, who uh, I've, I must admit I've forgotten her name again now, but I looked her up at the time. She was uh, she didn't necessarily know all the words, um, but it was a good show. And he seemed he seemed thoroughly uh, pleased to be there and enthusiastic. It was I think it was the last night of their of their UK uh, tour actually, and I'm really glad I I went to it because, um, yeah, I, I would have appreciated some more of the really moody stuff. But I can totally understand why they went for a more, um, you know, a live uh, a rocking out live show, especially in the in the venue that it was. I mean, yeah. this is this is the thing. It's it's something I really sympathise with being somebody who does, you know, things within various completely different worlds from yeah. drum and bass records to... And it's like, sometimes it's hard to keep these things separate and sometimes you want them separate, sometimes you want them linked, but it's... it's uh, 
sometimes you kind of end up pleasing every camp, you know, because yeah, you, you end up, you know, he, he is a rock musician and he plays, like, he's done loads of rock records. I've heard some of them actually, yeah. like, and, you know, he's, he's been doing it since the 80s, hasn't he? Like, uh, I think so, yeah. And uh, so that is probably his passion, you know, it's probably yeah. his love, but he just has an uncanny talent for for making ambient music as well. Like, yeah, horribly unnerving stuff. Yeah, yes, he's a talented, like, a talented, yeah. uh, skillful guitarist, you know, absolutely. Um, so you've brought uh, one of those more ambient tracks, uh, although, you know, it does have, it has a melody. It's not completely just uh, a noisescape, this one. This is Laura Plays the Piano. So is this a favourite Yamaoka track of yours? Absolutely, yeah. This one sums it up. Um, it's so unusual. Uh, the, the hook is is a single chord basically it's mm. you know it's, it's there's nothing to it but it's the texture and the tone in the the same way as i love brian eno it's it's all about the tone in this and you know it's it reminds me a bit of him and music for airports type mm. type vibe but it's got this sinister undercurrent to it as well which i i find really tasty <laughs> it's it's yeah it, it it perfectly sums up silent hill this this song i think it it's a, a sort of note of anticipation and suspense but but also dreamy kind of almost almost fantasy like yeah it's it's wonderful So we covered the entire Silent Hill video game series on Kane and Rince. Um, I think we started late 2014 and uh, for the first few months of 2015, I think that's right now. Um, and by the end of the series, we were getting contributions from uh, Tom Hewlett, who was the producer on some of the later installments. And that was fantastic. And he's still a listener and a fan of the show. That's great. Uh, Silent Hill 2 was Kane and Rince uh, 155, issue 155. So seek that out, please, if you haven't heard it already. Now, uh, our most recent piece featured uh, in today's Sound of Play. And this uh, we return to the world of Hotline Miami. 
Um, so presumably you uh, had a good time and your relationships with those involved in Hotline Miami were all still positive and so you were brought back to do some more for the second game. That's right, yeah. It's, um, it, it, you know, it was actually quite an honour really because, even for the second game because mm. they could easily have gone, well, you know, we, we, we can get anyone we want now. So we're <laughs> going to go out to the people that we couldn't afford the first time, you know, but actually they still still liked what I was doing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just, you know, I will, if Jonathan ever wants to have a, a piece of music for a game, um, he doesn't even have to tell me what the game is, you know. I just I trust in him completely as a sure. a designer yeah. um, and as a writer. Um, and I think that that's the fundamental thing. Like, I don't really want to work for a game. I guess really from from now on, I, I really want to only work for games that that are saying something, you know. Like, and mm. that's why I haven't really said yes to many other other things. Uh, I still feel that. So many games are purely mechanical, and that's that's great. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there's so few games that that um, and it is getting better. But but there are so few games still that are very adult, and you know deal with adult themes. And yeah, even the most kind of story-based games of the moment such as i don't know like firewatch which i haven't played or Mm -hmm. um i'm just thinking like the undertale and things like that they're appealing to a kind of a demographic that's that's definitely aimed at younger people you know it's like teens and i I guess really is the market and like 20s but i'm i want to see more stuff that's it's kind of got a grown-up feel you know what i mean like a real I'm not saying that these games aren't grown up. I'm just saying that they are being inclusive with those those younger markets. Whereas I think there are games that are, are not afraid to say, "Do you know, fuck it, I'm an 18." You know, like I'm I'm dealing with the heavy st- stuff here. <laughs> like you know, I'm going yeah. to the, the dark places or whatever. Like I'm you know or or just things that that wouldn't be suitable for children. Sure, um, absolutely, and. Jonathan's one of the only people that, that's actually doing that. He definitely is. No um, question. So, so uh, and I really respect that. And I, you know, it's obviously what I tried to do with Lone Survivor as well. Um, so we, I think in that that respect, we we share that that same same philosophy, maybe. Um, hmm. And the second game, although I, as I said, I haven't got very far with it. I just I know that that is going to be good. Like even one day I will sit down and I'll, I'll watch it or, but I, I, I felt that the first one was complete enough story wise for me. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that they, they, they'll do some really interesting things with the second game. I just haven't personally had, had, um, had a chance to actually sit down and, and digest it. Cause I'm, I'm still debating whether to try and play it or, yeah. <laughs> or just watch yeah, it. Sure. Like, but, um, but yeah, I've played a few levels, and you know, I love I love the polish and I love the presentation that they've they've done on on it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, as I said, like they they only have to just say the word, and I would do music for anything of theirs, um, Jonathan and Dennis. So yeah, I mean, there's there's not many people that I would say that to you about, you know, but definitely with those guys. Fantastic. And so this piece, Voyager, uh, what's the What's what's the vibe here? So Voyager was actually, um, um, yeah. I mean, after Lone Survivor saw the, the 
I really and I'd already done the uh, the music to to Hotline Miami to to the first one. Um, I I wanted to get like the real synth so that I could actually I knew they were doing a sequel and um, so I wanted a real a real good um, analog synthesizer and so I you know I bought a, a Mini Moog Voyager which which is you know the modern version of the the classic Mini Moog which is right. used on basically every every classic sort of record ever you know it's it's literally you you can't escape the moog or moog um whichever you prefer uh, it's i know mm. it's supposed to be moog but i prefer moog everyone says moog yeah <laughs> over here anyway yeah in england yeah i tend to hear moog so i'm i'm, I'm okay with that even though like bob moog pronounced it moog but there you go um yeah bob moog absolute legend died in uh you know uh not not too long ago but uh it was the last machine that he designed and um it's it's just like the heart of you know my setup still it's mm. it's 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 absolutely enormous sounding <laughs> like yeah, and uh it's it, it's just so versatile it, it really can do anything and um and i i've since bought three more but it'll always be you know a sort of centerpiece and and um that that track is made pretty much entirely on it even the chords even though it's a, a mono synth, I was—I think I was actually just—I'm not sure if I did, but I, I might have pitched um, chords individually by just tuning the the oscillators, you know, just to because mm-hmm. I didn't have a poly synth at that time, um, which I since since have bought, but um, a poly polyphonic analog synth, in other words, one that can play multiple notes at the yeah. same time. So that that was just trying to make me me you know get my head around a new mono synth and my first ever um truly analog one you know i've had plenty that aren't that are sort of di- digital recreations but uh so it was yeah it was very nice and uh, i just yeah that track just came out um and i think i was listening to quite a lot of giorgio Moroder at that time yeah because well, uh, yeah. there's a little bit of disco in it like yes too so yeah, maybe that's a little influence on it as well. The um the recent New Order album has been on heavy rotation for me in the last uh, six seven months or so, and uh, yeah. it's a real stunning return to form. Yeah, and uh, and there's some definite Giorgio Moroder influences in in there. Yeah, uh, for sure. Always good to hear. All right, let's hear Voyager by Jasper Byrne from Hotline Miami Two. Wrong number.
Now, track seven, this is a slightly interesting one in that the version we're going to play is it's neither the original track nor is it the version that you actually hear in the game because the version you hear in the game is 10 minutes long. Um, but this is the version from the soundtrack yeah. called Res Edit. Um, and I really like this version uh, of this amazing track from one of my favourite levels in any game ever. Um, but it does just slightly miss the California soul samples that are on the uh, on on the on the game version. But it it's still absolutely just cracking track. Oh, yeah. it's missing the California soul samples. Ah. Yeah, it's um. It, it, yeah, for whatever reason, they're in the they're in the the full length version and yeah. I think the, the original version, but they're not um, they're not on this particular album edit on um, the OST. I don't, maybe it was even licensing. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. for example, this year maybe they they felt they could get away with it in the game, but they, yeah, they couldn't yeah. get away with it on a record. Yeah. yeah, I just had that same problem actually with this film score. That I'm, oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um. That's the thing about this song. It yeah, really. It, it it's it's not one song, is it? It's it's an interactive yeah. piece, and yes. um, so to try and describe it by playing a a mix or an edit of it doesn't really fully fully capture it. And I no. think that's what I wanted to say with this with this one was sure um, with all the pieces that I I suggested that that I wanted ones that either were amazing pieces of songwriting or it was something that really advanced the the technology and i feel that this is one of them mm. because res still hasn't it's barely been bettered i don't think um in terms of interactive music you know mm. it's there there are a couple of games indie games specifically i think recently that have, that have done some really interesting things but in terms of having the full package, in other words, the music at its core that is really good as well. Yeah. Um, Res is, is still, I think, the best example of interactive music in some ways. Like, um, it it sounds pleasing to shoot stuff and like it sounds, you know, every, all, all the kind of power-ups have had a lot of thought and time put into each sound effect. And mm. it, it just, it, just um, it creates a feeling of synesthesia, which... I think only one other game has ever made me feel, and that's a recent one called Sound Self, um, ah. which a friend of mine is making called um, Robin Arnett, and it's a, a entirely VR game. Where have you heard about this? You no, I, I no. I was looking forward to. I'm looking forward to Res in in VR. That's yeah. a VR thing that I've been very interested, excited by so far. So what's this? What's this project? So Sound Self, you you have a microphone and a, a an Oculus Rift, and you you don't have to play it with the Oculus Rift, but it, I think it really enhances it. Yeah. Um, and what it does is using a combination of pitch recognition and vocal effects uh, processing or effects processing, it, it alters your voice. And it, it as you basically you chant into a microphone and as you chant, um, it picks up the timbre of your voice and the volume and the, the, the pitch and it uses them to modulate actual sounds um, and, but also visuals. So you're seeing in three dimensions these very psychedelic kind of visuals um, that are entirely generated by your own voice. And it's really quite unusual. It's it's I've, I first tried it in in a, again in E3 actually, and um, and you're, you're completely cut off from the the world. You know when you put this thing on your head and. Because of that, you're not self-conscious about 
singing or, or, or you know using your voice as loudly as possible especially in that 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 was a really good place to play because you know yeah. noisy busy hall and i don't yes. think anyone noticed yeah. so um yeah it was just it was brilliant and the 3d is really subtle it's just giving giving depth to these these um, psychedelic images but it's just something that i've never experienced before and probably never will again it's such a unique project uh so yeah I'm, I'm really interested in that in that sort of synesthesia that can be produced um from from being a dj all my life i've always watched vjs as well and and been fascinated by by video mixing and and stuff like that and and the technology that people use and this is a really good um it's a really good example of that sort of thing um uh so um res is a perfect coming together of those worlds as well it really is it's it's um it's an era where finally music that such as originally or maybe on games like wipeout um music that is considered trendy or good like mm. and fashionable at, at the time and completely credible in the club scene or whatever is actually being recognized and used in in video games for the first time um, and Res is on the tail end of that, and and that's you know I I think that's that's something that we should still aspire to because I, I actually think things have regressed in some ways since then mm. because there was a real good crossover a bleed you know bleeding of the the pop culture of the time and the uh, and the music in, in games at that time particularly coming out of the UK I suppose but but. Um, but uh, but also in places like you know like in like Japan's got that uh, in its culture. I funny enough I've I've met Mizuguchi Sang and uh, a few times. Uh, cool. Uh, in in because I used to live in Japan and um, he was he used to come to the club where I was a resident. Okay. <laughs> and he used to come there quite often and we, and that was actually when I was starting to get into to indie stuff and mm. making my own little games and and stuff like that and um I, so i talked to him about it quite a few times and um it's just interesting to see because he would be there with people from sega you know like they'd all just yeah. be hanging around like there'd be someone from fashion there'd be like djs from other kinds of music and they'd all just come and hang around like in the same clubs and just network cross you know cross genre uh, i noticed yes. and um it was just yeah, it was really interesting to see. Like, I actually went to the launch party of Luminous or something in, uh, in Roppongi Hills Tower one time, and uh, and uh, they. It was just interesting to see the cross section of people there. Like mm. it wasn't it wasn't just game people. It was no, right. people from all all you know the, the movies and you know. So in Japan, it has a real good yeah, real good um, melding of the arts in that way. Like um, so. Whereas I, I think you know we, we are making maybe possibly some some steps back in the right direction now. Actually, having said what I said, um, with things like um, you know the sixty five days of static uh, doing music for No Man's Sky and like that's you know that's that's really awesome. That's yeah. credible. It's you know it's it's current. It's 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 it's, it's yeah it's current. That is it's important to me. I think to to be futuristic and you know look to the not not be retro um with because we, we've got this futuristic medium and i want to push it forward i want to see people push it forward so 
I, you know, much that I, I, I can appreciate a, a chip tunes um, like soundtrack. I feel mm. that we should be pushing it forward more, trying mm. to use things that weren't at our disposal before. You know, now we've got like incredible software to make music with with unbelievable effects. Um, and the way we can actually use programming as well to, to enhance that, um, you know, that, that, that's what I'd like to see more of. So I think Res is, is a really good step on that evolution there. Take your brain up on the floor and 
So we spoke to uh, Tetsuya Mitsuguchi's former right-hand man, James Milkey, way back in issue three of the Kane and Rinse podcast. That uh, was in October 2011. We spoke to him about Rez, but also Child of Eden and Luminez and a bit of Sega Rally and other things. Um, that was a cool interview, but five yeah, getting on for five years ago now. Wow. Our penultimate track for this sound of play uh, comes from our guest, Jasper. Uh, but this was uh, as uh, under the name and, and I think part of a collective North Base. That's that right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, North Base is, you know, currently pretty much known for drum and bass. It's, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's primarily the project of Silver, who, who was my musical partner within drum and bass for... Like 10, 10, 11 years, and for at least f- sort of four of those years, we were we were working primarily as a double act, as Sonic mm. and Silver, or as uh, Accidental Heroes, um, and releasing records, you know, on all the the, the big like drum bass labels of the day, yeah. Um, sort of from ninety nine to two thousand four, and and at, at that point we started to, well, for a start, Dean. Silver, we, we we lived in Manchester, but he moved to America and I moved to to Asia, yeah. and um, so I was primarily doing solo solo drum and bass from that point. But we we have done a few things recently, and even though he's in Manchester and I'm in Cambridge, it's a lot closer than <laughs> Japan, Japan, you know, Tokyo yeah. and uh, and LA. But uh, so so we we you know we see a little bit of each other, and I've done quite a few tracks with North Base, but less recently because they've they've kind of started to take off and it's really good. Like yeah. they're 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 doing really well in, in, in the drum and bass scene and you know it's really makes me happy to see see Silver in his fortieth year like really breaking through um, yeah. and in an, in a new way. And um, so this is a track that I did with Silver in, in Manchester a couple of years ago. That we at the time North Base I was and I was doing with them um, a, a bunch of tracks that weren't actually drum and bass. They were like 140 BPM or or slower. And um, and this one is actually closer to being a house track. But it wasn't really. We weren't really trying to think about genre at the time. Um, we were just trying to make a record that that would sound good in a club, you know, and without trying to think about genre. Um, and this ended up we we never really found a home for it just because mm. i think like everyone who north bass were selling tracks to wanted drum and bass <laughs> you know because <laughs> like dean's been doing it his whole life as have i and you know he, dean's very very good at it now like you know and um so it's it ended up you know with with him doing more drum and bass but this this is kind of nice because it reflects a little bit of that period and we ended up finding a home for it by by uh, licensing it out to um to one mr bean for for this game sound yeah. dodger yeah so this is known as overdose Overdose. Overdose. 
overdose. So that's from uh, you, well, you can play that. You can play along with that track on Sound Dodger Plus, which is available on Steam for PC. I think uh, came out in twenty thirteen. Yeah, um, it's a sort of uh, rhythm action game. I suppose it looks. Yeah. Uh, I haven't played it, but it looks a little bit like it's got influences of um, like Ostatakai Uendan Elite Beat Agents type of stuff. Yeah, Elite Beat Agents type of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's an avoid em up that's yeah. in rhythm basically. It's like a, it's a bit like a bullet hell meets meets rhythm action. It's not actually a rhythm game, really, strictly speaking. Right. You know, it's more of an avoid em up, but having a sense of the rhythm helps because the the the, sh- the craft that are in coming at you are like all coming in time with the music. So. Okay, listeners, remember, please continue to venture over to our forum at canarince.com slash forum. You can follow us on Twitter at canarince and our Facebook page is canarince after the facebook.com bit. You know how it works. You can request your favourites, uh, other curios and oddities, um, generally not licensed tracks unless there's a very good reason. Uh, but we'll continue to include a selection of these in the playlist for each regular Sound of Play podcast. Remember, Sound of Play is now weekly and so we need at least twice as many tracks. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast as well as our other podcast, Cana Rinse, uh, on iTunes or wherever else. Leave us a review and a rating. Um, tell your friends. Um, I really want to thank Jasper for his time before. We, we've still got one more track to talk about. Um, but, uh, yeah, you don't have a lot on then apart from the album, the film score and uh, and whatever else. So uh, Yeah, we're in, in the middle of re-releasing 19 drum and bass records as well. <laughs> like Because okay. uh, uh, I'm... I'm basically putting my my because I had a record label, you know, that, that was physical only records um, from 2002 to like to nine or something. So I'm, I'm re-releasing 19 
physical records um like albums or no they're all, all 12 inches single tracks, uh, right? and uh three of them are eps yeah okay um wow and uh, and then followed by yeah a couple of little albums uh one one is a mix album that i put together that i was going to release i never ended up releasing um uh with some sort of exclusive tracks on it and uh, and then uh, another one of which is a sort of vaults album where it's it's like 20 tracks that that occasionally i get asked for you know over the years that people have heard djs play but never actually been released you know yeah so so, so i you know i'm just trying to put all these things to bed and like have have my archive because i'm i'm now finally up on up and running on itunes and spotify it means that I I want to get all of my old drum and bass records out uh, so that I can clear the way to to release not only my game soundtracks but my my new record that I've been working on. So it's all kind of like a slow process, just clearing the way. Because I've been writing a lot of stuff but not releasing. So I'm doing trying to do the opposite at the moment, just put as much stuff out as possible and get up to date so I can write something new. <laughs> Yeah. And are you going to make another video game? Yeah, that's the big question. Well, I've, I've, I've had to stop work on something that I've been working on for three more than th- four, nearly four years, actually. Yeah, it it doesn't mean it's finished, but it's um, it's uh, it's on the shelf at the moment. Okay, and, um, and then just because of the scale of it, um, but. I'm I'm still considering what to do um, with as far as that project goes, but uh, mm. I have a, another thing on the go at the moment, which is quite exciting. When I have a spare moment, I, I yeah. do something on it. But I I, I don't know. I, it it was the you know the I never really made that much money from being a drum and bass artist, even though I made a living and I I lived yeah. on it for for over a decade. Mm. But I did really really well like with this game and um i you know the the sensible thing would have been to not make any any more music and just like carry on making oh, well. games you, you know? can't you can't abandon your passion well that's it like i just for some reason my my heart told me that i i had to carry on making music despite you know not not releasing it or or even having any any income from it i just have to do i always have to do what what you know what my my passion is is on at that time yeah I, I, otherwise i i can't I, I can't create you know um and say and say that i'm doing it honestly you know uh, so if i feel like making music i have to make music and it's it's i mean there will come a point when i'll be like running out of money and i, I will have to do something you know fairly quickly but that might be good for me anyway uh, that's sort of how, what happened with with the original Lone Survivor anyway. So right. It, it might be good for me to, to run out of money, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to get my your wife and child or... Well, yeah, that, I, that, it does... It, it, yeah, there is that extra factor. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm. that's another reason for trying to release all the music that I've been, been doing lately. It's like, well, even if, you know... Even if um, I hate the process of selling, I have to. Mm. I have to look after my my family. So yeah, of course. Of course, I have to do it. Um, unfortunately, it's, I wish I had a a, a Rami like from from uh, Vlambia. Like if you know about Vlambia, like mm-hmm. Rami yeah. is one half of it, and he 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 basically just takes all the stress and pain away from from JW 
to make games, you know. Yeah. And that's basically what he he's there for, you know, and, and like to to make make the game sell, to make people enjoy the community, uh, to, you know, to handle the business and the money. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish I had a Rami, basically. Yes. Because yeah. uh, all that side of it, I'm, I'm hopeless with. Yeah. <laughs> so you can follow Jasper uh, on Twitter, at Jasper Byrne, very simply. And some of your old, uh, truly uh, independent games are available at superflatgames.com. That's right. The front yeah. page is very out of date. Sure. <laughs> it still doesn't even have Lone Survivor on it. So. No, I noticed that. <laughs> about but five years it, old. About it does have a lot of other things that people may be unfamiliar with. Yeah, some oddities um, and curios. Is... And if you go back through yeah. the blog, you'll find links to loads of other little small games that aren't even on the front page as well. Yeah. So, and a... you even made a couple of Amiga games? I did, yeah. I mean, my, my first commercial game actually was released in 1995. Wow, 20, 21 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Um, from from the age of like seventeen to about eighteen, nineteen, I, I was working on a point and click adventure for the Amiga. Yeah, and um, it's it was released right when the Amiga was on its, on its last legs. Yes, yeah. very much yeah. so. Yeah. And you know, the, it was being kept alive a lot by this kind of game, which was pseudo commercial. Like, as in, yeah. it was it was a large scale public. Not sorry, not public domain. A license, mm. what's called licensed shareware at the time. So I guess shareware release, um, and I guess the games were going for I don't know eight quid or something like that. So yeah. they, were, they were like reasonably expensive, but not full price at all. Um, and yeah, um, I, I'm I'm kind of proud of it. Like it's 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 stu- stupid, you know, but it's actually. Re- it's gained a, a weirdly cult following, and in fact, one of my one of my proudest moments with that game is is a uh, Stephen the Catamites uh, who made this amazing game called Space Funeral, which is one of my favourite indie games of all time. Mm. Um, and another person who whose whose work I, I feel is really is really pushing the uh, the writing forward. But uh, he. he uh, he suddenly posted on Twitter uh, an image that I'd drawn from that game um, of of the main character going through uh, going through a sort of warp uh, and the look, expression on his face and it was this terrible portrait. But he kind of loved it and I, just the fact that he'd found it and you know I I respected him and uh, he'd found it all these years later and he's the kind of person that would find this um, because he scours the internet for the weird abandoned stuff that's you know that no one knows about like um, but just to see see him recognise that it had something you know what I mean like it was it was weird enough to post an image from it of Twitter like um, (laughs) that made me very very happy and kind of made it worthwhile Uh, but yeah, Keith's Quest, it's actually quite a sizable game. You know, it's almost the size of Mon- Monkey Island. But the writing is right. written by, you know, 17-year-old me and is absolutely awful. But maybe sometimes so bad it's good. Okay, yeah. Um, anything else to plug or, or things you want to point people towards before we hear about your final pick? Just really, I guess, to, to look out for this album because it's yeah. in amongst this um, fa- you know failed game project um, is... is I, at least half of that time has been spent on on this album, and that includes writing hundreds of tunes that I've thrown away and yeah. ones that I've rewritten like twenty times. Or you know, some of these have got like sixty five mixes 
um, and that you know, and that, that's it sometimes like including sort of maybe twenty versions of the actual song, like yeah, right, different. But uh, it's just me trying to make an album, I suppose, that I I'm really proud of and that I feel that really represents who I am. Um, so it's going out under my own name and mm. and. Uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping it might take off. You know, outside of outside of the the game world, and yeah, um, who knows? It's it's me trying to, to say this is this is what I'm about right now, and and I uh, I hope to have it out by the end of the summer. So I okay. just hope people enjoy it and and uh, and that it finds even a small audience. Is it is it eponymously titled, or does the album have a, the record have a name itself? It does, yeah, but I haven't announced it yet. Okay, yeah, all right. Let us know. We'll yeah. we'll we'll retweet it. It's just in case I change it. So. Okay, yeah, good call. Yeah. So to close, um, we have a pick from somebody who has been featured on Sound of Play many times and is often a choice of talented composers such as yourself, which I think says something for for Nobuo Uematsu. Um, so you've picked one from Final Fantasy X yep. to Zanarkand, which I think um, people will know uh, probably. Um, but what uh, what is it you particularly like about this piece? Well, it, you know, it is the sort of obvious choice. Um, but at the same time... I, I, it's it it just shows that he is you know he is the the kind of the great in a way like in in terms of like that trad cinematic orchestral score like mm. vibe and you know in in the in the sort of Joe Hisaishi or like um, John Williams even like that yeah. kind of vibe you know and um, the kind of person that doesn't matter what kind of score you're into, you probably will enjoy his work, you know, uh, a popularist composer, I suppose that, yeah, but, um, uh, I love final fantasy 10. It's, it, it was the first one I ever actually finished, believe it or not, because I never right. had a, a PlayStation. I played both seven and eight on borrowed PlayStation from my brother, which, yeah. Um, I had to give back, you know, when it was getting to like 40, 50 hours, he was like, no, yeah. I need it back now, you know. So with both of those games, um, I, I never got to the end at the, that time. Um, but 10 came out at a really interesting time for me when I was in Vietnam, uh, living in Vietnam in Saigon. And wow. I had, a, I guess, a, a lot more time on my hands in the evenings. And um, I, I just remember playing that game for for weeks almost um because you you it kind of is i think it must be one of the biggest like but it it was the only one that's made me want to explore every single corner of it i Mm. think one of the main reasons was was the music kept me kept me involved because there's so many great tracks in it like um i i don't know people might argue that other scores are, are better by by him but i i really I mean, uh, the opening track is is fantastic. It really reminds me of a Miyazaki film. Basically, you know, it's um, that that kind of wistful, nostalgic yeah. vibe again. Absolutely, um, and like very beautifully written, very well orchestrated, um, and I guess not. You know, one of the I don't know if it did have a full orchestra. I'm trying to even remember now. Uh, I don't think so. I don't no. think so. No, but it just it yeah it gave the sense of one really really well. Like yeah. it, um, and 
every time you return to the title screen after dying in yes. a ten hour battle, yeah, <laughs> then you would uh, you would actually not really resent it because the the music was wonderful and um, it's uh, it. Even though I I didn't like the protagonist particularly, um, somehow the plight of Yuna and um, and the the idea of the the city that had been destroyed mm. was was very powerful to me, and this song seemed to conjure that that up. Um, this, uh, this passing of time, also being even despite his character, like the idea of Titus being a, a complete fish out of water, is really somehow makes it lonelier and uh, that that music sums it up as well so it's yeah it's it's absolutely brilliant wonderful thank you uh, thanks for spending your time with us um good luck with everything um i don't know if luck is what you need um, <laughs> you've clearly got bags of talent and i'm sure it'll all go tremendously well for you so um yeah uh maybe we'll we'll get you back on sometime but in the meantime keep on keeping busy yeah it's, it's great to uh, speak to somebody who who shares you know passion and, and knowledge about um, music uh, you yeah i will definitely be listening to more of your podcasts as a as a, with a keen interest thank you all right uh, here it is to zanakand and we'll see you on sound of play 43 <laughs> 